0: Our topic tonight out of Ezekiel chapter 20, Bring Us Back Home. This is the second time we're looking at a portion of Ezekiel 20. We'll have at least one more uh, sermon out of this chapter, a lot in this chapter, a lot in the book of Ezekiel. So we'll pick up at verse 6 and we'll do a little bit of review first. I made myself known to them in the land of Egypt, saying, I am the Lord your God. Yet the children in the wilderness rebelled against me. They did not walk in my statutes, nor observe my judgments, which, if a man does, he shall live by them. But they profaned my Sabbath. And that phrase there, uh, walk in my judgments and my statutes, uh, which, if a man does, he shall live by them. That's mentioned uh, three times in this one chapter and seven times in the, book, in the Bible as a whole so pretty significant as a long phrase like that and so that was the message we looked at first regarding this chapter and it's available on shalomadventure.com here in this chapter he starts off with speaking going back and referring back to when he spoke to us in the land of Egypt and instructing us and giving us instructions and we did not follow them verse 20 uh, Ezekiel chapter 20 verse 22 then I said, I would pour out my fury on them and fulfill my anger against them in the wilderness. I withdrew my hand and acted for my name's sake that it should not be profaned in the sight of the Gentiles in whom's, whose sight I had brought them out. And so three times uh, he mentions coming to us and three times it says that uh, we did not listen and did not follow his ways and, And his statutes and his judgments and his commandments, and that he would have liked to have just poured out his wrath on us and just wiped us out, but each time he relented and showed mercy for his name's sake so that it would not be profaned among the Gentiles. And so, before when we were in Egypt and then taking us out, and now here in the wilderness, he continues with that line. That again is all still review. Then in verse 23 Also, I raised my hand in an oath to those in the wilderness that I should, would, not, would scatter them among the Gentiles and disperse them among the countries because they had not executed my judgments but had despised my statutes, profaned my Sabbaths, and their eyes were fixed on their fathers' idols. Now this is prophetic at this point. This is a new verse that we're picking up in, in this chapter. And, uh, and in Ezekiel's time, so we've gone from him speaking to, to us when we are in Egypt, And now all the way up to Ezekiel's time, and he's prophesying that he's going to disperse us among the Gentiles. And a few years after this, that's exactly what happens, and uh, just as is prophesied here and for these reasons. And that is prophetic for that time period. But we also see see some similar parallels, uh, this one having to do, the first one having to do with when Babylon comes and destroys the temple and disperses us, among the Gentiles, and then many years later when the, um, when the Romans come through and destroy the temple in Jerusalem again and disperse us among the Gentiles again. Verse 27, son of man, say to the house of Israel, the Lord God says, your fathers blasphemed me by being unfaithful to me, when I brought them into the land, which I raised my hand in an oath to give them, and they saw all the high hills and the thick trees, they offered their sacrifices and provoked me with them. And so there was some who brought us into the land of Israel, and there's some about the high places that drew us, and we went up there, and that's where we chose to put our idol worship, and, and, and something about the tops of mountains that uh, seemed to attract people, maybe we feel like getting closer to heaven by going that way. Well, but... In getting away from heaven and disobeying heaven and rebelling against heaven, we're going up higher so that we can get to these high places to get closer to the higher power or whatever the thinking was. Verse 32. What you have done, what you have in your mind shall never be. When you say, we will be like the Gentiles, like the families in the other countries serving wood and stone. This is very interesting. It's a wonderful promise. We're going to see several promises here in this chapter. He's promising what you're desiring to be like all the other nations, worshipping their gods, worshipping their idols of wood and stone. It's not going to be. It's not promising you. It's not going to continue that way. It's not going to happen. What you have in your mind is not my plan for you. And I'm going to stick with it and stick with you. And a remnant has come through all through this time, and a remnant is going to come out, and it's not going to be that way, not going to be this continual worshiping these these vain idols forever and ever, and so that's prophetic, that's prophetic for their time, and it was fulfilled, he did bring us back after the Babylonian captivity, 70 years later, he brought us back to the land of Israel, and we forsook the idols, and worship the Lord under Nehemiah and Ezra and, and uh, Zerubbabel. It was a great revival that took place. And prophetic for our day as well. God is working a mighty and he's... While well, we might not have these little stone idols and uh, wood idols so much, little figurines... And I think one of the reasons they like to do that is making it in their own image. We make them in our image. We like God's in our own image. Right? We can carve them to look like us. We can carve them however we want. We can carve them so they're smaller than us. We are more powerful than them. I don't like the idea of, of God being Lord and him telling us. We like to tell our idols what to do. We like to be in control of them. We like to tell them where to sit and what, where to be. And the idols that we have today are the same way. We like to be in control of them. And we like to have them all about us. Like our Facebook pages. All about us. We like things that are all just feed us. We like to have our TVs set where we want them. and We like to choose the channels and we like to choose the stations. We like to choose what we want to watch. We want to be in control of our little idols and things that we have. Maybe not so much wood and stone, but metal and plastic are our idols today. And we like to be over. And so we still have idols, but it's not going to be that way forever. God is able to deliver us and he's able to set us free from our addictions to the things of this world, to the idols of this world. We still want to just be like everybody else. We don't want to be God's peculiar people. We don't want to stand out as different. Obeying his ways. We want to shop like everyone else shops. We want to dress like everyone else dresses. We want to watch what everyone else watches. As our carnal nature, just to fit in and be like all the other nations, like the things of this world, and we'll reap what we sow. We'll end up with what we invest. And we want to be like the rest of the world, we will end up like the rest of the world. If we want to be God's children, we get the benefits of having him as our Father. We want to create things in our image that look like us, and they'll be just as worthless as us without the Lord. We want to let God be our God. He recreates us into his image and lifts us up into heavenly places in him. So God has a wonderful promise here. He's going to deliver us. He's able to deliver us. And he's been doing that in people's lives since the beginning of time. He's promising on a massive basis here what he's going to do. Verse 34, I will bring you out from the peoples and gather you out of the countries where you are scattered with a mighty hand, with an outstretched arm, and with fury poured out, I will rule over you. So God's going to pull us out of Babylon. He pulled us out of Babylon once. He's going to pull us out of the spiritual Babylon of these last days. He pulled us out of the kingdoms and he brought us back to the land of Israel. After the Babylonian captivity, and then after the dispersion over the last 2,000 or so, close to years, he brought us back to the land, and he's bringing us, he's pulling us out of the world. And he's drawing us onto himself. And he says, he will rule over us. I take surrender on our part to allow him to be Lord, to allow him to be our God. For allow him to be the one that calls the shots. For him to be the one who tells us what's best for us. And humbleness on our part of surrendering to that and walking in his ways, walking in his commandments, walking in his statutes. And he promises here that's what he's going to do. He says, I will bring you out from the peoples. As he brought us out of Egypt, as he brought us out of Babylon, as he brought us out of the world, as he's brought us unto himself. What a loving God. We've been scattered. We've been dispersed. He's bringing us into his fold, into his kingdom. Verse 35, I will bring you into the wilderness of the people, and there I will plead my case with you face to face. That's an amazing thing. It's an amazing God that we have. That he's going to plead his case to us. As if he has to beg us, as if he has to plead with us, as if he has to show his case to us. And he's willing to come down to our level to meet us where we are and to plead with us. What a wonderful God we have. I mean, if you can imagine, there we are, just destitute, homeless, jobless, penniless, Living in the streets, addicted to all kinds of things. And then comes walking someone who's the CEO and owner of some big corporation with many branches, nationwide and worldwide, some big organization, multi-billion or trillion dollar organization. And he goes walking past and he sees us and he He says, come, i got a job for you. I want you to be part of my company. He says, I'll give you a uniform. I'll provide you transportation. I'll even give you a signing bonus. Even before you start work, I'm going to pay you. I'm going to give you this huge bonus even beforehand. And I'm going to bring you into my company. I'm going to give you a good position. And provide housing. And all your needs will be met. I'll give you training and an education. And more than that, I'm going to let you be a partner with me and join with me in this company. Serve this company together. And then, first day of work, and we show up. And we hardly work at all. The next day we show up again. And we don't work at all. We don't do anything at all. Third day we show up. And this time we brought our new phone with us. And there we are doing Facebook. Playing on our phone. I went to the bank the other day and to, uh, to get the, a notary sign and I walk in, and, and I'm looking around for someone to help me, and one person is working with someone else, and another person sitting over in their little cubicle over there, and they look busy, so I just waited there and stood there and stood around, and after a while, kind of walked, walking around, walked over, and I could see that person in the corner a little better, and there she was on her Facebook. I went over and interrupted her. Oh, shocked her. Oh, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't see you there. Can you help me? Oh, yeah, yeah, sit right down. And the fourth day of work, we don't show up at all. And the day after that, we're bad mouthing the company. Badmouthing the CEO and the owner and the, the whole thing. Putting it down among people and trashing it. And yet the owner comes to us and pleads his case to us. Please come back to the corporation. Please come back into the fold. I've done this, I've done that, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that. I'll give you a retirement plan that's out of this world. And over and over again, he's pleading his case to us. And not through some text. Not through some messenger thing, whatever that is all about. Not a phone call. He comes, and he comes looking for us, seeks us out, finds us back on the street, laying there in our urine again. And he comes down to our level, lays down on the concrete with us, face-to-face, real face-book, not some fake fantasy Facebook thing, but really face-to-face, person-to-person, reaches out and touches us, gets to know us, and pleads his case towards us. What a wonderful God we have. So merciful, so loving, doesn't give up, always giving, always reaching out always has our best interest in hand and seeks after our welfare and our happiness and our joy. Yeshua left heaven, the adoration of angels, seated next to the Father on the throne of God, over it all, ruling over the universe. He left it all and came down to this earth Born in a sheep stall, in a cave, smells and dampness and troubles, to become one of us, to be hated and rejected, go through trials and struggles so that he can see our face, so that he can know our suffering, so he can know our difficulties. So he can know our problems and our troubles. And he can meet it face on. That he can come and embrace humanity. And he came down to us and pled his case to us. Oh, what a wonderful God. What a loving God we have. He took our burdens, he took our sins, he took our rebellion, he took our gossip and our negativity and our pride and our selfishness and he took our troubles and he took our penalty and he placed it upon himself and he literally carried our burdens into the grave and died for us. He came down and he comes down to us today as well pleading his case to us, face to face. Last week I drove past the church and had one of these marquee things out there and and it said something along the line of, um, don't say that God's not talking to you when you haven't opened your Bible in months. He comes and speaks to us today comes face to face with us today as well. What a wonderful God. He wants us to see his face. He wants us to see him. He wants us to know him personally, intimately, lovingly. What a wonderful God we have. Verse 37, I will make you pass under the rod and I will bring you into the bond of the covenant. Now, the shepherd had the rod and he used the rod in a lot of different ways. He used it to beat off the wolves and the coyotes and the bad guys and the lions and tigers and bears and whatnot. He didn't use it to beat the sheep with because if you had a sheep, you didn't want them to be bruised or hurt because then he couldn't be used as sacrifices. And if you were going to sell them, it wouldn't be that good for sacrifice or for. For sale, if it had bruises on it or was hurt, if you broke its leg, it could be in real trouble. But he might use the rod to tap it, to keep it in place, to keep it in line, to direct it, keep it from going off on its own, to remind it, as an outstretched arm, to to grab it, to hold it, to help it. So it would make you pass under the rod. And the rod could be used for counting. Right? You know, bringing them into the stall at night. So one, two, three sheep, four sheep, five sheep. Help, it to go, help the shepherd to go to sleep at night. <laughs> counting the sheep, right? So he'd use the rod to count the sheep. Pointing them out. Or he could use the rod and put it in front of the face of the sheep so he can check out the sheep and keep it from going off with the other sheep. And he can check it for any bruises or briars or thistles that might have gotten to its wool or... Or any cuts or scrapes. Make sure he was in good shape. Make sure there's no parasites or something crawling around or living on it. So he'd use the rod. And, and then if it passed inspection, he'd raise the rod and allow it pass under the rod and join the other sheep. And our God gets close to us. Tenderly uses circumstances, situations, blessings, as well as troubles to get our attention. He wants to clean us off and pick the parasites off us and the things that weigh us down. He wants to keep us from getting distracted and wanting to run off in different directions. And he taps us here and taps us there and trying to keep all the sheep together and keeps us together, keeps us close to him, keeps us going in his path. Taps away from eating some weeds that are poisonous or not good for us. Directs our steps if we allow him because he is the good shepherd. And he brings us into the bond of the covenant. He wants to marry us. Again, like that analogy, not only a part of the corporation, but to make us co-heirs in the inheritance of the corporation. Not that we had anything to do with building it up, not that we had any investment in it, not that we took any risks in it, not that we worked diligently hard all our lives to build it up, like the owner and the CEO. But he brings us and allows us to sit with him in his office, at his desk. And he... Makes us partners, equal partners with him. Co-heirs with him. Lifts us up, took on our nature, and then allows us to take on his nature. Let his mind be placed into our mind, his heart into our heart. As he took our nature and our sins, he gives us his righteousness and his thoughts, and his power, his victories, into covenant with us. Promises never leave us. He'll never forsake us. He's covenanted with us. He will remain faithful to us. What a wonderful promise. What a wonderful God we have. Verse 38, and I will purge the rebels from among you and those who transgress against me. And there's some sheep who just don't want to be sheep. They want to be sheep in wolves' clothing. They want to put on the world. They want to live like the devil. They want to run wild. And God will not force them to stay in the fold. And he may have to use that rod in judgment as well. He may have to use that rod in chasing them away. Chasing the rebels away. And that's how he's been consistent from the beginning of time. He created Lucifer. it's one of his covering cherubs, covering angels right there at the throne of God, right beside him, with great rulership, great authority, great majesty and great beauty, and entrusted him. And yet when he rebelled, refused to repent, refused to turn, refused to relent, remained in transgression, he had to be cast out of heaven. God is a judge. and He'll judge both ways. Not all who profess to be sheep go to heaven. And he had to purge his out. Adam and Eve placed us in the Garden of Eden. Chose to rebel, and he had to kick us out. If he kicked Lucifer out and one-third of the angels, and he kicked Adam and Eve out, his first creations in his own image, what makes him, us think he'll let us back in if we hold on to rebellion and transgression? He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He has the same standards he always has. He is Lord. There's no room for another Lord. And so he purges another promise. I will purge the rebels from among you and those who transgress against me. God will work circumstances and situations. So he let us go in, into Babylon. and Going through the wilderness, he let us go through until everyone died off from the beginning except two faithful ones, Caleb and Joshua, were able to go in. Let us go into Babylonian captivity until that generation died off, and then brought us back in. And He's bringing back His people today as well. And He'll do a separating. Sometimes it's hard when we see a sheep has to get sent out. It's hard when a sheep leaves, a sheep goes out on their own. It's sad, and it breaks all the other sheep's heart, but it breaks God's heart. Rips it apart. Verse 40, for on my holy mountain, on the mountain height of Israel, says the Lord God, there all the house of Israel, all of them in the land shall serve me. There I will accept them. There I will require your offerings and the first fruits of your sacrifices, together with all your holy things. He promises to bring us home. brought us back out of Babylon. We came and worshipped him. And so the fulfillment of this promise is there. temple was Rebuilt. Offerings took place. And we worshipped him on his holy mountain. Now Jerusalem is not the highest mountain in Israel. But it is the highest place in the world. Spiritual high place. Where God set up his Shekinah glory. Where God named it. Where God called it. Where Yeshua came. Where Yeshua died where Yeshua was resurrected from. High place. And he's brought us back again miraculously. Now the fullest fulfillment of this is in the new heavens, in the new earth that he creates. When he returns a third time and brings the new Jerusalem down with him. And sets up the new Jerusalem. And all the world will come and worship him and give ourselves as offerings to him. Wonderful promises bring us back home, to bring us back to himself, to bring us back to the Garden of Eden, back to his presence to walk and to talk with him, and to not see him through a glass darkly anymore, but to see him face to face. Verse 41, I will accept you as a sweet aroma when I bring you out from the people in the countries where you have been scattered and I will be hallowed in you before the Gentiles. Another wonderful promise. He will fulfill his purpose in calling Israel from the very beginning to be a light to the Gentiles. It's been the purpose ever since the beginning. It's his purpose still today. He wants to make us a light to all the nations, to all those around us. And he's bringing us out of the world so that we can be brought onto him so that we can stand as lights in this world, as stars in this world, reflecting his glory, demonstrating his ways, living out his ways as a sweet aroma to him, as a sweet sacrifice to him. Been scattered in this world, scattered to the nations. He's bringing us onto himself. That we can be united together, even as separated around the world, but united in him. One in him. Echad together in him. And thus others can see the unity. Others can see him. Others can see his glory. Others can see his character lived out in us and how we interact with him and how we interact with one another. Verse 42, then you shall know that I am the Lord when I bring you into the land of Israel, the country which I raised my hand in an oath to give to you. Again, another wonderful promise, we will know that he is the Lord when he brings us into the land. And again, he did bring us back into the land after Babylon, and he did bring us back into the land after the Roman destruction, after the dispersion. That's miraculous. And again, it finds its greatest fulfillment when the meek shall inherit the whole earth. And he brings us into the whole land, the whole world, all recreated. finds its fullest fulfillment. But we really can't ignore the literalness of, of what he's saying here too. You will know that I am the Lord when I bring you into the land of Israel, the country which I raised my hand in an oath to give to you. And the chapter that we looked at the last time. It said, in the land of Israel, the most glorious land. Wonderful promise. Verse 43, there you shall remember your ways and all your doings with which you were defiled, and you shall loathe yourself because of all the evils that you have committed. And that's the result of coming face to face with him. That is what happens to us when we come face and face with God. We loathe ourselves. We see ourselves in reflection to him. We see his character and then we see our character in relation to that. We see his perfection and we see our faults. We see his righteousness and we see our rebellions. We see our disobedience. We see the areas where we've disappointed him. We see the areas where we've turned from him. We see the the opportunities that we neglected. The laws that we disobeyed. The choices that we made. The people that we neglected. The prayer times that we forsook. The Bible that we left collecting dust. The services that we skipped. The real communion and real conversations with him that we chose not to have. Things that we did that we shouldn't have done, the idols and the addictions and the frivolity and the foolishness that we occupied our time with and wasted and squandered. The things that we put before Him and before His work, the ways we've wasted the money that He's put at our disposal. the talents that we didn't use for his honoring glory. The closer we come to him, the more we see him, the more we loathe ourselves in our own eyes. Just as described here. Just the opposite of what the world thinks. The world thinks that, that believers in God think we're better than, than everybody else. And maybe there's a lot of professed believers who do think they're better than everyone else. But a true believer who truly comes in contact with God doesn't see ourselves in better than anyone else. We cry out like Paul, I am the chief of sinners. We see ourselves as worse than everything else. Because we're no longer comparing ourselves with others. We're no longer comparing ourselves with ourselves. We're comparing ourselves with God. And thus we remember our ways and our doings with which we defiled ourselves. And we loathe ourselves because of all the evils we have committed. The only way to go up is to go down. Humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord. And he will lift us up. I think too often this aspect, this step, this vital step is neglected. And not brought out. Oh, the love and the mercy and the grace is proclaimed and proposed, but true repentance, a forsaking of this world and the things of this world, a calling out of the carnal heart and the carnal nature, and a loathing of it, of a hating of it, a forsaking of it, a repentance that does not need to be repented of, true seeing God's face, his love and his... Him coming and pleading his case with us causes us to hate our nature and to turn it over to him. To want him to cleanse it and to heal it and to remove it from us. Because that's our only help. That's our only deliverance. We can't change ourselves. We can try and we've tried and it doesn't work. And so it causes us to surrender to him and lay it at his feet and allow him to remove it from us. And accept his sacrifice, his death in our behalf for the removal of it. And allow him to embrace us and change us and transform us. And with every change and every victory, there a, comes a deeper understanding of how much we've fallen. And so every time he raises us up, we realize how much higher we should have been. How much closer to him we should have been and could be. And how much more there still is for him to do in our lives. Verse 44, then you shall know that I am the Lord. When I have dealt with you according to my namesake, not according to your wicked ways, nor according to your corrupt doings, O house of Israel, says the Lord God. And you shall know that I am the Lord. And this is... This phrase, again, a long, long phrase is, what, 50-something something times. We did a sermon on that also on shalomadventure.com. Over and over again, Ezekiel. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. When will we know? When he has dealt with us for his name's sake. His mercy, his love poured out for us. But not according to our way. Not because of our righteousness. He didn't call us into the corporation because we were so talented, because we were so good, because we were so valuable to the, to the, to the kingdom. But for his name's sake. Because of his power, because of his love, because of his ability to totally transform us and change us. And makes us sons and daughters of God. From rebels... Partners in the covenant. The children of God. What a wonderful God, what a loving God, what a powerful God we have. What wonderful promises He's given in our behalf. And as we think on these promises tonight, whichever one applies to you and you want to grab hold of and claim, in a moment when we pray, I invite you to. Grab a hold of one of those promises. Maybe it's a promise to come and meet you face to face. Maybe you're wanting to see his face. Maybe you want to draw closer to him. Maybe you're needing some comfort. Maybe you're needing his presence closer than ever before. If you're going through some trouble, some struggle, some difficulty, I invite you to lay it at his feet. And accept his love. Or secondly, if you're in a situation that there's some rebellion in your heart. Some transgression in your life. Some area that is wrong, you know it's wrong. God's convicted you, it's wrong. Some area you're neglecting, some area that you need to be doing. You want to accept his mercy, accept his grace, accept his love, accept his forgiveness, and have victory over it. In the moment when we pray, you can accept his power and his transformation in your life. Thirdly, if you want to come into covenant with him, accept his offer to you accept his side of the covenant that he'll never leave you, never forsake you. but be your Lord, he'll be your God. and You want to receive his covenant and partner with him and let go of the things of this world, let go of the idols of this world, let go of the distractions of this world, go with whatever private idol you have, whatever takes up your time, whatever interrupts your time with him, whatever keeps you from serving him fully and completely, whatever has your heart, whatever has your attention, you wanna surrender it and accept him to rule over you. That he will not allow us to be like the nations around us. And he'll make you and me into his peculiar special treasure that he can lift to the world. Or if God's laying on your heart an area to let his praise be known and seen. An area where he wants you to be a shining light and be a witness to the nations around you. To those in your neighborhood, to those in your family, to those in your school, to those at work, to those in your community, and around the world. In the moment we pray, you can ask God to fill you with his glory, fill you with his spirit, that his name be exalted, that his name be glorified through our lives that others will see him and accept him as a result of our lives. Any of those areas or any of the other promises or any other thing that God is speaking to your heart about to bring you into the land, to bring you into the eternal promised land with him, to go through the steps, see his face, to loathe ourselves, to receive him, to receive his forgiveness, to receive his sacrifice, to receive his spirit, to receive his victory. As we pray, any of those areas that apply to you personally today, let us let God do his work in us. Our Lord and our God, King of the universe, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you, Lord, for your glory. We're thankful for coming down to this earth and pleading your case to us. Thank you for meeting us face to face. Thank you for delivering us from the world. Thank you for not allowing us to be like the rest of the world. Thank you for being our Lord and our God and ruling over us. Thank you for bringing us on to yourself. Thank you for revealing yourself to us. And thank you for revealing ourselves in relation to you. Thank you for the gift of repentance. Thank you for the gift of salvation. Use us. Reflect your love through us to all those around us. In Yeshua's, in spite of ourselves. For your name, for your glory. In Yeshua's holy name. Amen.